Hey, Cracked fans. If you're a listener of this podcast, I imagine you feel fairly similar to how I do about the latest clothing options made available across the tennis market. Now, while I won't call out any brand in particular, I will say this. Given the exorbitant nature of the latest designs, feels like you better be pretty freaking good at tennis if you want to wear that sort of clothing on the court. Now, thankfully, we here at Crack Rackets are now able to provide a far more suitable, far more more comfortable, and I'm going to be honest, far more stylish option for all of our Crack Rackets fans, courtesy of our friends over at Lucky Racket. Lucky Racket uses some of the best fitting and feeling tees in the world. Their shirts are combed, ring-spun, heirloom cotton, and tri-blend Bella and Canvas. I don't even know what that means, but that sounds spectacular. So, how can you get yourself some Lucky Racket gear? It's simple. Just go to their website, LuckyRacket.com. That's L-U-C-K-Y-R-A-C-K-E-T.com. And use our promo code CRACK15. If you do, you'll get 15% off all of your purchases. That means 15% off the shirts, 15% off all of the incredible swag offered by our friends. Again, that's LuckyRacket.com. The promo code is CRACK15. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Wednesday, September 22nd. Of course, most, if not all of you, hearing this on Thursday. Just a reminder before we start, it's Wednesday's matches that I'm going to be recapping on today's show. Of course, it's another action-packed week of play across the professional tennis world. We've got the high-level WTA event in Ostrava, the 125K in Columbus. We've got two ATP 250s, one of them in France, the other in Nur Sultan. Five ATP challengers as the Challenger Tour continues to rock and roll. And then, of course, two stateside ITF events that I know our Crack Rackets fans will be interested in, given the nexus of current and former college tennis players, rising American stars competing in those two events. So I want to talk about all of that action on today's show, share my observation from Wednesday's play. Of course, before I get in, into any of that, just a quick reminder, if you have missed any of our content over the past few weeks, all of our conversations, recapping and covering the U.S. Open, all of our thoughts on what to watch down the home stretch of this 2021 season, you can follow it all on our website, CrackRackets.com, like, rate, subscribe, review to this show, our Great Shot podcast, Cracked Interviews podcast, and Crack Rackets YouTube channel, so you don't miss out on anything. If you don't mind, leave that five-star review, leave that comment uh, up on whatever podcast platform you listen to. It helps us with the computers, helps us with the sponsors. I wouldn't ask uh, if all of you, A, if all of you had already done it, and I know most of you have not, so if you don't mind, throw it up there, but I wouldn't ask if it didn't help us with the sponsors, with the computers. So again, if you guys don't mind, wherever you're listening to your podcast, like, rate, subscribe, review to all of our Crack Racket shows. Of course, a shout out to all of you listeners for continuing to listen day in, day out. A huge thank you to our Crack Racket. Thank you. Hey, great 
shout a huge thank you to our Crack Rackets Patreon family as well, whose support day in, day out makes all of our efforts possible. And then, of course, here on the Mini Break Podcast, a huge shout out, as always, to our friends over at Tennis Point. You all know the deal. Tennis-point.com for the best equipment at the lowest prices. You use our promo code CR15. You get 15% off your order, free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. Best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls. Again, that's tennis-point, the symbol, not the spelling, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. With that said, let's up our appreciation for some of the efforts we see continuing to unfold throughout the 2021 season. Of course, at this point of the year, are we going to see the Novak Djokovic's of the world? Are we going to get to see the Ashley Barty's of the world competing week in, week out? No, probably not because, of course, the Grand Slams in the rearview mirror and for the players at the highest echelons of the game, so many of them have already proven themselves day in, day out, week in, week out. They're not going to see them playing every event and yet, when you look at the draw in Ostrava, you look at the two ATP 250 draws we have this week, you see a bunch of players, you know, on the women's side in particular, particular pursuing that chase to the year-end finals in Guadalajara. I've mentioned it before. There are about 14 players with a legitimate shot at ending the year within the women's top eight of the points race. And so, you know, there's a reason you look at the draw in Ostrava, and I know I mentioned this yesterday, but the top seed still in play, Iga Sviantek into the quarterfinals, Elena Rabakina into the quarterfinals, Maria Sakari uh, a chance to advance there as she takes on Yelena Ostapenko on Thursday. Pavla Chenkova still playing in this event. Of course, you've got Belinda Bencic, Petra Kvitova uh, all in the event. Paula Bedosa versus Annette Conteve. Those are two players who've been at minimum top 25 players here in 2021. A lot of fun action happening uh, over on the women's side, of course. On the men's side, you look at those players who are trying to, you know, continue their breakthroughs, whether it's an Ilya Ivashka, who has, you know, quietly been one of the most solid players uh, on tour this season, has broken through from that top 80 range into the top 50, won his first title in Winston-Salem just before the U.S. Open. He's played some outstanding tennis, and it's a guy like him or, you know, the Arthur Rindernesh's of the world, the Emil Rusev of the world who are continuing to try to establish themselves within the top 100, within the top 80, put themselves in a position where at minimum they're in Masters 1000 qualifying and they can sort of, you know, craft their schedules in 2022 to their strengths and play the sort of events, A, any event they'd like to play, but B, the events that put them in the best position to continue their ascension up the rankings, both men and women who are in that position. So again, those are the storylines to always monitor at the end of the season. You do get to see younger players quite frequently getting that, you know, tour level match experience. And every so often we get a fun breakthrough at the end of the season. Think Yannick Sinner at the end of 2019. Think, I mean, countless women's examples over the years. I think about Sabalenka, how strong she was at the end of 2018, 2019 seasons as well. But, you know, Andre Rublev at the end of last season. Uh, you can go on and on at the uh, end of 2019, excuse me. You can go on and on and on about the breakthrough runs we see come the end of the year. And so, again, the thing I'm trying to prove, these results matter. It's time for us to appreciate, up our appreciation of the tennis we are seeing unfold in the place we have to 
start is with the women's action in Ostrava. And I think listeners of this podcast day in, day out are probably sick of hearing me say Annette Conteve is the most un- – well, if it's a Lisa Mertens one who's made – what is it now? 16 straight third rounds at majors or something crazy like that. If she's number one in terms of most underappreciated – Annette Conteve is certainly number two, and you look for Annette Conteve, who might have your win of the day on Wednesday in her 6-3-6-4 straight set victory over ninth-seeded Paula Bedosa in the round of 16 in Ostrava. I mean, Annette Conteve has been rock solid this season, and I don't know if you want to say it's a step forward for her because, you know, you look at the rankings, I suppose Annette Conteve still, um, you know, not at her career high, her career high of number 14, which she reached in 2019. You look for Annette Conteve, she's currently ranked 29th. You even want to go by the metrics of points she's accumulated here this season. She's 23rd, so, you know, she hasn't, it's not a top 15, top 10 sort of monumental, clear step forward, I should say, for Annette Conteve. We know she can be a top 30 player, but she's solidified her spot within that top 30. Certainly, you know, if you are not a top 25, top 20, or higher level player, you're just not going to beat Annette Conteve here in 2021. And if you are one of those top players, you're still going to have to play your best tennis to beat her. And you look for Annette Conteve again. 28 and 14 now here in 2021. She's winning two thirds of her matches, folks. That's about all you can ask from a player who's been inside the top 30 for the majority of the season. You look for her throughout the course of the year uh, for Annette Conteve. She's made, uh, she's, she won the title in Cleveland in the build up to the U.S. Open, made a final on the grass in Eastbourne before getting knocked out by Yelena Ostapenko. Three semifinals for her, four quarterfinals for her now on the year this season. You look for her by breaking down, again, against quality of opponent, against player opponents ranked outside the top 50 this season. Annette Conteve, 17-1. Her one loss coming in Australia to Shelby Rogers, who's certainly on a hard court when she's playing her best tennis, is not a player who should be ranked outside the top 50. I think we all agree on hard court Shelby Rogers, at minimum, a top 50 talent. That's her one loss to a player ranked outside the top 50. Now, you look at her record against players inside the top 50, she struggled a little bit more. She's 10-13 and 13 overall on the year, and yet it is worth noting on hard courts, you know, 7-8 and eight for uh, Annette Conteve. She has gotten wins this season over a Maria Sakkari, over a Jennifer Brady, over an Angelique Kerber, even an impressive win over Sarah Cerebez Tormo earlier this season. She also beat Teichman at the U.S. Open. Of course, Teichman was coming off of a finalist appearance at the Western and Southern Open in Cincinnati. She knocks off Paula Bedosa here in Ostrava as well. You look at the losses for her, losses to Sabalenka, losses to Kvitova, losses to Sviantek, Merton, Sakari. I mean, the players with the big weapons or the players who can match her physicality, uh, that's what it takes to beat Annette Conteve. But if you can't do that, she's going to beat you. And you look for Conteve yesterday in her victory uh, over Paula Bedosa. She just executed at an extraordinarily high level. She made 57% of her first serves, but she won 81% of those first serve points. She fought off three of the four break points she faced. And then, you know, she took advantage of the fact that Bedosa doesn't have that overwhelming weapon to hurt her with. And for Annette Conteve, you know, she holds Bedosa to a 39% conversion rate on second serve points. Overall for the match, Bedosa 32 of 59 overall on her serves. That's only a 54% conversion rate on your service points. She won only 30% of her return points as well. 
Conteve just beat her at every facet of the game. Conteve was the more dynamic player from the baseline. Conteve was the one more comfortable moving forward when a short ball opportunity presented itself. And again, Conteve didn't have a glaring weakness for Bedosa to attack over the course of an hour, hour and a half and just beat down with high percentage tennis. That's not Annette Conteve. If you don't have the big weapon, it's going to be really tough to beat her. And you look for Annette Conteve now here again in 2021. Here are her losses this season. You know, she lost to Sviantec at the U.S. Open, three-set loss. She loses to Jabour in Cincinnati, three-set loss. She loses to Pagula in Montreal, three-set loss. Tokyo, she loses to Maria Sakari. Well, Sakari's made semifinals at two majors this season. Wimbledon, she loses in three sets to Vandrusova. Vandrusova goes on to win the silver medal at the Olympics. Eastbourne, she lost to an inform Yelena Ostapenko in the final of the tournament, you continue to go down again. Sviantek, Sakari, Sabalenka, Merton, Sabalenka, Kvitova, Rogers, and Kudermatova. The only somewhat suspect losses are the Kudermatova and Rogers losses in straight sets. And even those losses, just given the context, Kudermatova, was she a finalist, I believe, in Abu Dhabi and was playing so excellent at the start of the season. And again, Rogers goes on to the quarterfinals of that Australian Open. There's not a single bad loss on Annette Conteve's resume this season, and that's just a testament to her floor as a tennis player, match in, match out. One of the highest floors in just terms of the performance you can expect from her in any given match, and that wasn't the case for her earlier in this in her career. And you look for you know Annette Conteve in those earlier seasons. She's yeah, 46 and 20 in 2017. Had a really good run on the clay courts, on the grass courts, but then ends up losing eight of nine matches at one stretch. Uh, during the hard court season to end the year. And you look for her, you know, 2018, 34 and 25. Again, there are a lot of strong starts uh, with some strong stoppage in between as well. You look for her, there was a streak where she won six, uh, where she lost six of seven matches. There was also a streak where she made, you know, a final in Wuhan, then goes quarterfinals in Moscow as well to end the season. Uh, it was hot and cold for much of the start of Annette Conteve's career. She's minimized the cold now. You, it's a, it takes a high-quality performance to knock out Annette Conteve. Now, again, if you are a top player, if you are a Sabalenka, even if you're a Rabakin or just one of those players with, you know, elite sort of power tennis play on your terms, you will have some weapon advantages over Annette Conteve. And while physically she will match you, you know, when, against the top players, she's not going to overwhelm you with her physicality. And so while that floor is one of the higher ones, you may say the ceiling is a bit lower, although I'd look for Annette Conteve. She's one of 14 players this season to rank top 30 in both hold and break percentage. Now, she's not elite in any single category, not top 15 in either hold or break percentage, but she's very good at everything, and that has a place on the WTA Tour and in the WTA Tour ecosystem. It's a really good win for the 25-year-old Annette Conteve. Again, 3-4 and four over Paula Bedosa. You look for her just from the advanced metrics for what it's worth. Conteve, 21st in terms of overall ELO, 18th in terms of 2021 specific ELO. I mentioned it. She's 23rd in the points race, 29th in the live rankings. She's a top 30 player. I think top 25, I would argue top 20 on her best days. And I just think that's, again, one of those players. If you want to get to the second week of a Grand Slam, very likely you're going to have to go through an Annette Conteve. And if you don't bring your best game, Annette Conteve is going to beat you. And so, again, that's a good win from her. 
Hurt my feelings when David uh, David Kane, friend of the show here, David Kanyev, uh, to some of you, uh, mentioned that Paul Bedos is in jeopardy of becoming the next Annette Contevane. He said it with, dare I say, a negative connotation. And again, I confronted – I would say this to David's face, so I hope people don't think I'm talking about, about him behind his back here. I don't think that's a negative thing. I get what he's trying to say. Does Paula Bedosa have the ceiling? We saw her make slam quarterfinals this year, but does she really have the ceiling to press towards Sam's slam semifinals, slam finals as she progresses through her career? Does she also have the weapons to – Hurt a Sviantek who can match her physicality. Hurt a Simona Halep over the course of three sets. The weapons to, you know, match a Pliskova, match a Sabalenka. You wouldn't say necessarily yes to that question, yet you look for Paula Bedosa. It's always, you know, 70% of her first serves go in. She's very Brooksby-ish and just death by high percentage tennis. You know, again, both solid off of both wings, moves well on the baseline, comfortable across surfaces. She's another player with an extraordinarily high floor 23 years old, still need to see where that ceiling is. But again, this was a win for Conteve, in my opinion, more than a loss for Bedosa, if that makes sense. But again, up your appreciation for Annette Conteve. Just another rock-solid performance for her in Ostrava. Of course, you look, speaking of Iga Sviantek, number one seed knocks out Yulia Putin, save a 4-4 four and four in the round of 16 for Sviantek. Now 32-11, and 11, folks. In this 2021 season, she turned 20 at the end of May, and she's winning 75% of her matches on tour. How did she follow up her maiden Grand Slam title in 2020? She's the only player to make round four at every Grand Slam on the women's side this season. Now, she only made one quarterfinal in those four slams, but that's solidifying yourself as a 20-year-old. That's saying, hey— this isn't this run wasn't a fluke. I'm always going to be in the mix across surfaces, and of course, you look for her. She did have a dominant stretch in uh, on the clay where she wins the Rome title, and then obviously looked so good in running up to the Roland Garros quarterfinals where she just ran into a buzzsaw in Maria Sakkari. But she also won the title in Adelaide on the hard court. She equated herself well to the grass courts in Wimbledon. Was a tricky three set loss for her in the fourth round to an inform Own Jabour again. Fourth round for her. Knocks off two tricky wins, Contevane and Farrow, before getting knocked off by Benchich in New York. She hasn't been exceptional, but she's been damn solid this season, has Iga Sviantek. And I'm gonna, you're going to hear a segment soon on the Great Shot podcast. I already recorded it. We're recording the videos here uh, on Thursday. And again, you're going to see all that either at the end of this week or early next week. But we talk about the teenage success, Radakanu, uh, Coco Goff, Leila Fernandez, I, you can go on and on and on, Clara Tawson. I know she's 20 years old now, but if you actually go back and look at all of Iga Sviantek's teenage accomplishments, she's right up there with the Kim Kleisters of the world, with the Jennifer Capriottis of the world, with the Venus Williams of the world. In terms of what she was able to do before turning 20 years old now, of course, she was also playing in the era of age restrictions, playing in an era where the depth in women's tennis is perhaps second to none, and yet she was still able to put up some damn good stats. I look forward to sharing that segment with you. I'm just saying, don't forget, Iga's on pace to do some really, really special things if the numbers for her career hold up. She's the only player right now, top 10 in both, or it's her and Muguruza, excuse me, the only players top 10 in both hold and break 
break percentage during this 2021 season. 32 and 11 makes sense. And again, just physically, she was able to match Putin save, and Putin save didn't have the weapons to hurt her in this one. So good win for Iga to advance to the quarterfinals, where now she is going to face a date with, I believe, Elena Rabakina, or maybe a Rabakina plays today. I think it actually might be Rabakina playing today against Magda Lynette, but that would be a very fun, the power tennis of Rabakina versus just the the dynamicism. I always butcher this name, dynamism, whatever. You know what I'm saying, the dynamic nature of Iga Sviantek, of course. You look at some of the other players uh, on Wednesday in Ostrava. Petra Kvitova, tricky three-set win. Over the, the least heralded of the top 100 youngsters in Anastasia Potapova, and I know I did a full thing on Potapova a few days ago, but look, Potapova... Good power from the baseline, sneaky good fluidity as a mover as well. Did a really good job absorbing, redirecting that first strike of Petra Kvitova, using her power against her, getting her stretched into the outer thirds of the court. But just, you know, again, in the end, what always stands out, the difference between a veteran and a younger player, the numbers on the second serve. Petra Kvitova, 16 of 32 on second serve points. Potapova, 11 of 32. I know, you know, a five-point gap, does that really make that big of a difference? Well, it does when Kvitova is making 70% of her first serves to Potapova, 60%. Just again, when Potapova hung a second serve, Kvitova always made her pay. Potapova did a really good job of getting Kvitova off of her front foot, again, of getting her stretched into the outer thirds of the court. But look, it was really nice to see Petra Kvitova on an indoor hard court. You'd think with her power tennis, if she serves well, every match should be on her racket. In the end, this one was, and she earns the three-set victory to advance, and now she's going to get a tricky matchup, as I believe. She is going to take on the winner of Teichman, and I want to say she doesn't play Fiona Farrow, does she? No, the winner of Teichman and Ali Risk, excuse me, uh, in the quarterfinals. Of course, you look at your other results on day five here. Uh, in Ostrava, you had a win from Yelena Ostapenko. She continues her exceptional form, 6-4, 6-love. Over Blinkova, you had a win. It was Ali Risk, three sets over Fiona Farrow. She continues. She was a finalist last week. Much-needed points for her down the home stretch, 6-4, 6-4 victory over Fiona Farrow. Those were your day five matches in Ostrava. Day six should be super, super fun. Rybakina versus Lynette. Sakari versus Ostapenko. Maria Sakari right now sixth in the points race, so year-end finals very much on her mind. Martin Sova, always dangerous, taking on Pavlochenkov, and then Cerebez Tormo taking on Bencic. That is a fun contrast of styles. Again, should be a super, super fun uh, ending to the week of action, and just a fun week overall. Over in Ostrava, of course, we also, oh, just worth mentioning, Tennis Abstract right now, their win percentage formula is their favorite. Petra Kvitova, 23.2% chance of winning the event. They then go with Sakari, 16.1. Iga Sviantek, 14.8. You know who's starting to appreciate in that Conteve? The Ostrava win projections. Of course, it helps to knock out your seed, but in that Conteve, 14.4% chance of winning the event. Now, again, we're almost at the quarterfinal rounds, uh, but she's fourth in terms of favorites to take home the title that speaks to her level of late. And again, the gap between her second and third, uh, Sakari and Sviantek, not that big according to the numbers. So worth noting for those of you who are interested in things like odds, things like projections moving forward through the draw. But of course, that's WTA event number one. You've also got the WTA event happening in Columbus. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Oh, it was a pretty standard, I don't know, not standard day of results, though no shocking upsets across the board. Of course, by name or by seed, Coco Vandewey's 6-4-6-3 victory over Renata Zarazua, the number six seed, draws like an upset, but we know Coco Vandewey went healthy and she just hasn't been of late. She's at minimum. A top 100 player, certainly on an indoor hard court. Her power tennis going to shine through. It does against Zara Zhu. It was a good day for Americans in general. Top seed Ann Lee, 7-6-6-3 victory over Harriet Dart. She now sets up a matchup with Coco Vandeweghe. That's a must-see matchup. I believe that one's going to be on Friday. Lauren Davis, your five seed, knocks out always dangerous youngster Katie Bolling at 6-2-7-6. You then got a win from number two seed Nada Parizas Diaz. Uh, she earns a 6-2-6-3 win over young American Haley Baptiste. You look at the matchup set up here uh, for Thursday. Should be another fun day of play. You've got Alexa Glatch, the American, taking on Shui Zhang. Beatrice Haddad Maya taking on Patricia Han. You've got Bringle versus Chirico Yu Wang versus Bokvadadze. Again, that's fun because it's just half of the equation in Columbus. You've also got a men's challenger happening there this week as well. And so for the Columbus community, if you're looking for tennis to watch, you certainly have have it on your hands but those are your big WTA women's events on the week let's now switch gears talk about the action happening on the men's side of course the place we have to start is with the action in France and I know I talked about him last time but when Andy Murray's on court we're all paying attention he is that sort of captive he is a that captivating as a player that captivating of a storyline and just you know that captivating of a performer still and you look for Andy Murray and I know I nothing I like more than quoting my own tweets. I tweeted this out earlier. It, it was the perfect first uh, two opponents for Murray this week in Ugo Umber and Vashik Pospisil. Both guys looking to play first strike tennis. The plus one ball, so important. Your execution on your first serve and just creating opportunities to keep them on their back foot, keep them from playing attacking tennis. Of course, neither Umber nor Pospisil wants to play 15, 20-shot rallies, push Murray's hip and test him physically point in, point out. And of course, the return of serve going to be so crucial in a match in those two sorts of matchups and that's what Andy Murray has always thrived in I mean his hands have always been exceptional now on the return of serve you know his ability to keep a condensed backswing take that ball early just make you uncomfortable whether it's getting the ball deep at your feet if you stay back at the baseline or keeping the ball low at your feet if you're serving and moving forward the way a pospisil or an umbear does and again Murray has executed so well on serve through his first two matches, won 84% of his first serve points in his first round match, hit 18 aces in that match. In this one, he won 83% 
of his first serve points. Now, he only made 51% of his first serves, but he goes 33 of 45 on serve for the match in general. That's a 73% win percentage. You look for Pospisil. He only made 47% of his first serves. It was 29 uh, for 55, only won 53% of his service points for the match. Of course, again, when you're only winning 27% of your return points and barely winning over 50% of your service points, you're probably struggling against Andy Murray. And, of course, Pospisil only created one break chance for himself. He did convert on that break, but, look, Andy looks fit this week. There's just a fluidity he's moving with at the baseline, a comfort level. He doesn't look so agonized moving in and out of corners. Now, he still doesn't look like prime Andy Murray, and I will continue to splash a dose of reality check on all of us in Murray Nation who want to get excited and say, can Andy Murray compete for a Grand Slam title in 2022? Can he get back in the mix at the top of the men's game? Physically, over the course of seven matches, it's just unfair to ask that of a guy with two metal hips at 34 years old. At the same time, A, the hair looks phenomenal. And as a man who struggles with confidence issues with my hair, as a man who's certainly going to have a hairline similar, if not worse, to Andy Murray's by the time I'm 34, unless there's some medical intervention, I think there might have either A, been some medical intervention on the Andy Murray hairline. And by the way, when you've made as much money as Andy Murray had has, go nuts, my friend. You've earned it. Get that line fixed. Make sure it's pristine and there's just like a flow and a poof to the hair right now. Again, it's kind of vintage 24-year-old, 25-year-old Murray. And just, he kind of looks sunburnt on an indoor hard court, which you always love to see. He just looks like he's having fun. And he just looks fluid. And he looks like he's found his rhythm again. And he looks like a guy who has played two months of consecutive tennis now for the first time in two, three seasons. And you just see there's now a comfort level to him in the course of competition where it's not all so foreign and just, you know, not every 30-all point. It doesn't feel like the end of the world for Andy Murray because you're like, well, you know what? I actually played a 30-all point in my last match, and I played one a week ago, and I played one two weeks ago, and he's just, there's a degree of comfort he's found this week that it was severely lacking even throughout his runs at the Grand Slams this year, throughout his runs in any event this season. He looks like a guy who's found whatever sea legs he still has on him. Uh, he found his rhythm on tour, and that's all we can ask for as tennis fans, that we have an Andy Murray who's enjoying himself on the court. And obviously, the way every crowd now is just captivated by everything he does, that's an inherent advantage. When you've got a home court crowd, you milk that for all it's worth. But you look for Andy Murray now, 109 in the live rankings by making the quarterfinals. He gets one more win. He's back inside the top 100. We'll be up to number 97 in the rankings, the live rankings. That will be cause for celebration. Again, you look for Murray now. He's going to have his toughest potential matchup in a date with either, I mean, let's be honest, he's probably going to play Hubie Hercots, the number one seed in his quarterfinal match. That's the toughest of the tests. And of course, Hubie's going to be aggressive as well, going to try and move forward. First strike tennis going to be critical, but Hubie can, of course, introduce an element of physicality that perhaps Pospisil uh, and uh, in his first match, Ugo Umber weren't able to do. It will be fascinating. Hopefully we get the chance to see that because that's a serious data point for Andy Murray coming back. He can get that sort of win, re-enter the top 100, the confidence that comes with that. If his body can hold up, again, 
as the body continues to hold up, as the confidence returns, there are a lot of individual skills that are starting to come back to Murray. He's clearly more comfortable hitting the backhand, hitting through the backhand, I should say, out of his corners than he was a month and a half ago. He's clearly just more comfortable moving in the corners in general. He's serving better, playing better plus one tennis. But again, we haven't seen him put that entire package together against a top 20 player from start to finish in a match yet. And so that's the question for him. And it's certainly if he gets the chance to play Hubie in the quarters, that would be a fun data point. But that was result number one. We got to talk next about Holger Rune. And I know it always is worth mentioning. And, you know, again, he's discussed his embarrassment with what happened earlier this season when he used... Uh, you know, a homophobic slur on the court while in the midst of a match, and I'm not justifying it. Absolutely not justifying this. I will say 18-year-olds make mistakes. 18-year-olds are stupid. 18-year-olds don't understand the context that a 22-year-old, that a 25-year-old, obviously that a 30-year-old or anyone older than that would. Um, And it's, you know, again, that Holgerune has been able, you know, he's spoken openly about the mistake he made and trying to move on from that instance, trying to learn and just reflect on what I did wrong. And, you know, for him, uh, that's one part of the equation, of course. From the tennis side, there is no debating. Holger Rune has found his sea legs, folks. You look for him over the last 52 weeks, he's played 98 matches. Holger Rune's played 98 matches of tennis in the last 52 weeks. He's 72 and 26, folks. He's won titles at the Futures level. He's won titles at the Challenger level. He's having success at the ATP level now, coming through qualifying, earning wins over Bernabe Zapata Morales, and now Lorenzo Sanego, 6-7-6-4-6-4, to advance to the quarterfinals, the win over Sanego, the highest-ranked win of his career. You look for the former world junior number one who entered the week ranked number 133. He's up to a new career high now of number 124. He earns another win this week. He'll get up to number 118 and he wins a title this week. He'll end up cracking the top 100 at 18 years old. Again, there's just some people know how to play tennis. And I know that sounds really freaking stupid. Great analysis, Alex. This is why we listen to the podcast. You're telling me a pro tennis player knows how to play tennis? Yes, I am telling you that. Some people just get it. Some people just know, oh, I have been milked into this forehand corner. There is not a single doubt in my mind. This guy is going to try and go down the line now. As I recover after hitting this forehand out of the corner, I am ready to book it to that backhand corner. Or it's, hey, you know what? I'm in the corner here. You know what I can do that no one else can do? I'm going to elevate and throw up this loopy little nothing forehand burger that just gets the point back to neutral, gives me some time to get back in the center of the court, reestablish myself within this rally. All of the tricks of the trade, Holgerune is already mastered. And then there's the fact that that forehand does have plus power, particularly when he's on the run. And just, again, there's a degree of spontaneity to that on-the-run forehand. You're never quite sure where it's going to go. It's a little Alex Dimanuri and just how flat it is, a little pancake grip as well. But it's extraordinarily effective. And again, rock solid on the backhand, can drive that ball with depth, can hit it with angle, can hit it down the line, comfortable playing the drop shot, comfortable with the hands moving forward. 72 and 26. 72 and 26 over his last 52 weeks. We talk about Radakanu not having many matches. Hogarune's played the entire gauntlet of matches. And he's won. 
He's won 75% of them across levels. He dominated the futures levels. Okay, I'm ready for the challengers. Well, now, after struggling a little bit to find his sea legs, he's dominated the challenger level. And he's now on to, you know, he won back-to-back titles at the start of August. You don't, you know, you think domination is hyperbole. He won back-to-back titles at the start of August. He qualifies for the U.S. Open, gets a set off of Djokovic. Now, uh, you look for him back-to-back losses to Matrizak and back-to-back challengers over the past couple of weeks then gets into qualifying here comes through qualifying and you know he's a guy who's got a ton of wild cards doesn't in this instance comes through qualifying makes the most of that into the uh, quarterfinals now I believe for him it's his second quarterfinals at the ATP level of his career I believe his first came earlier this season in Santiago and indeed it did but I mean man Holger Rune is checking off all of the boxes from a tennis perspective, you look for him in this match against Sonego. Uh, Rune able to win 84% of his first serve points, 61% of his second serve points, fights off two of the three break points he faced. I mean, he was just, he was on his terms. He was playing on his terms, and he was able to match the power of Sonego shot for shot. It was just really, it was a really fun match. You know, again, he forced Sinego on his back foot in his service games, and that's a really difficult thing to do, uh, particularly on an indoor hard court. So credit to Holger Rune. He continues to rock and roll, and as I mentioned, he's got a matchup now with Pablo Carreno Busta. Carreno Busta, a straight set 5-2 and two victory over Mikhail Emer. That sets up a fun day of play in um, France for tomorrow. You look at the matchups on the draw. Of course, we've got our other five round of 16 matchups. It's going to be Hercots taking on Luca Pui. Diemenauer versus Giron. Diemenauer, by the way, quietly one in five in his last six matches. That's a man who very – and obviously he contracted COVID. There's no telling how that's going to affect a player's level, but obviously that's a guy looking for some victories. You've also got Gojuits taking on Hachinov, Basilishvili versus Alejandro Davidovich, Fokina, Gael Monfis taking on Philip Kohlschreiber should be a fun Thursday of action in France. Of course, with that in mind, let's move over to the action happening in Nur Sultan, our other ATP 250 on the week. Although I guess quickly, just so all of you know, Tennis abstract formula, Carino Busta, prohibitive favorite in France right now, 36% favorite. Second place is Hatchinov at 14.6. After that, it would be Hubi Hercots at 11.9. Yeah, Andy Murray, 9.9 is your fourth favorite. That speaks to where things are at right now in France on the ATP Tour. But you look over in Nur Sultan. It was a pretty straightforward day. Ilya Vashka into, I believe it's quarterfinal number five for him this season at the ATP level, had never made an ATP quarterfinal coming into this year, now has made five of them, or maybe one, has now made five, has won his first ATP title, he's been so good since the end of Wimbledon, so good during this hardcore stretch, two and three win for him over Timofey Skatov, uh, he advances to the quarterfinals, it was a good day for the seeds in general, Laszlo Jure, First quarterfinal for him at the ATP level in hard courts, a guy who's obviously been very clay-centric in his success. He knocks out another clay-centric guy, so I suppose it's fitting. 6-4, over young Lorenzo Musetti, your other winner, John Millman, your defending champion in Nur Sultan from last season. He earns a three-set victory over Jaume Munar to advance to the quarterfinals. Should be a fun day of round 16 action. It, that's going to start early 
Thursday morning, uh, Karatsev versus Rusevori, Krajinovic versus Duckworth, Sunwu Kwan versus the Deuce, Taberner versus Jerasimov, and then the nightcap. Fun, fun contrast of style. Miomir Kesmenovic taking on Sasha Bublik. Those, uh, that is your action over in Nur Sultan, and right now, for the record, the favorite, still Ilya Vashka, 31.2%. Then you get to the Rusevori, Karatsev, or excuse me, the Karatsev, Milman, Bublik tier of contenders. Sunu Kwan, 10.8%. Interessante. Interessante. But anyways, that's where we're at on the in the ATP level events. Just quick rapid fire through the challengers. Nothing too crazy happening on Wednesday. Really nice win for former Illini All-American Alex Vukic over Cannon Kingsley. He earns a six and five victory on the indoor hard courts in Columbus. Just again, power tennis was the name of the game and the development of the Vukic serve. It gets better and better. And when he gets opportunities to set up that plus one ball. I mean, he moves it so well around the court. That was a really, you know, that was the match that caught my eye on the day in Columbus. You also had wins from Purcell, Maya, and Alex Bolt. You had the other half of the round of 16 today. It's going to be Sandgren, Brower, King versus Wolf, Gunasuarin, Torp, and Kubler versus Kozlov. In terms of the action in Switzerland, good win for Tim Van Rittaven. Uh, six, uh, seven, six in the third win over number three seed Dennis Novak. Liam Brody earned a straight set win. Tobias Kamka. Earned a straight set win as well. Uh, you've got five round of 16 matchups over in Switzerland today, including a matchup of Dom Stricker, the wild card, former junior French Open champion, guy who's won a challenger title but never made another challenger quarterfinal uh, since, uh, in his young career. One of those talented teenagers poised for a breakout 2022 would be a big win for him if he can knock off second seed Henry Laxon, and that's a guy to keep an eye on. Of course, Alex Richard, former Virginia standout player, also in play in Switzerland. You look at the action in Ecuador, Juan Pablo Vrias, Juan Pablo Vikovic, both winners on the day. You also had wins from Johan Niklas and Matthias Zukas. Uh, you look for the round of 16 action today. It's going to be Torante versus Gomez Herrera, Meltzer versus Julian Lenz, Gautier versus Martin, Katarina versus Afasundo Mina. In terms of the action in Portugal, again, number six seed Alessandro Gianessi upset by Jesper de Jong. Other than that, Hugo Gaston, Diego Montiero, top four seeds. Both advancing on the day. You've got your bottom half of the draw set to play on Thursday in uh, Romania. Your final challenger, Trevaglia, the number one seed, three-set win over Flavio Caboli. Other than that, two-seed Radu, uh, Radu Elbot, 16 Maximilian Martyr, both knocked off on the day by Bonadio and Sechko, respectfully. Uh, but that's where things stand on the uh, challenger level now quickly in terms of the American ITF. So I don't know if it's going to be quickly or not, but you know some notable results on the day. Some notable first-round results, certainly, to keep an eye on. Another good win for Adrian Boitan. He coming off of his champagne final. He advances straight sets. He's now going to face Seku Bengora in round number two. John McNally, semi-finalist in champagne, also advancing. A lot of people wondering, what's McNally going to do? Is he going to go back to college, play his senior year? Probably won't be in Columbus, if anywhere, but that is a question on the minds of many. Of course, you also got to win a uh, should be a fun one between Toby Kodat and Liam Draxel in the second round. Finn Bass, three-set win, 7-5 in the third over Champagne winner Martin Dom. Now, sure, part of that's a schedule loss for Martin Dom. Played a lot of tennis last week, but 
damn, that's impressive from Finn Bass. And just keep your eye on Finn. Good wins this week. I think he beat Jirasek of, uh, or maybe beat Sander Jong. He beat someone from TCU in qualifying. Now gets the win over Martin Dom, a guy who, you know, again, has talked about, I mean, having spoken with him, I know how seriously he's prepared this offseason. He believes he should be, and very well, very well could be, by the way, one of the guys in that 4-5-6, filling in some of the holes now in this Baylor lineup, whether it's him, whether it's Brum, whether it's uh, Machizu, Mizuki, uh, you know, who I know they call Juan P, uh, whomever, Mizuki, excuse me, Juan P, I know that, uh, you know, Finn believes he's in the mix, and I believe he's in the mix as well, and so, again, don't worry about that depth at Baylor, they're going to be just fine, but you look at some of the other winners on the day, good win for Flo, Florin Brasca, over Tyler Zink, I thought, uh, you know, good win for Nyaki Montez, who now sets up a date with fellow Virginia uh now rising sophomore in Jeffrey von der Schulenberg. So you hate that for the Virginia fans, but the Doc versus Montez, that should be a fun one. Sander Jong, good win over Illinois freshman Ozalans. He's now going to take on Henry Patton. And then, you know, really nice performance from Gianni Ross. Three-set uh, loss for him, unfortunately, to 2019 NCAA champion Paul Chubb. But that's a really nice performance for him as he tries to kick off his pro career. But Again, a bunch of good second-round matchups. You've got Jong versus Patton, Van der Schulenberg versus Yaki Montez, Kodot versus Draxel. You've got Boitan versus Bangora. Keep your eye on the action in Fayetteville and then, of course, on the action in Fort Worth. Very quietly, and of course, she's a favorite of ours here at Cracked Rackets, but Alexa Graham now, I believe, 12-1 in her first 13 full-time pro uh, tennis matches. She gets a really impressive win over third seed top 300 player Anna, uh, Hannah Chang. Six love, six four. She's now got a matchup with TCU's Mercedes uh, Aristegui uh, in round number two, and you just feel like that's a winnable match for Graham. All of a sudden, she's into another quarterfinal, uh, so that could be fun. Emma Navarro earns a win as well. She's now going to take on Ona Orpana, uh, winner of that, facing the winner of Quinn, uh, Quinn Gleason and Kaya Kidnappi in the quarter. Quarterfinals. You move elsewhere. Catherine Harrison, uh, a win over Jesse Annie. She's now going to take on Alexandra Bozovich. Uh, you look elsewhere. Ashley Leahy, really impressive four and four win over Iowa's Alexa Newell. Kayla Day with a three set win over the five seed McCartney Kessler with a three set win. Sarah Davitella comes back from a set and a breakdown to earn a three six six four six a love win over former top five player in the nation, number one player, I should say in the nation, in Katarina Jokic. That's the sort of matchup we deserved last year during the college season. We never got it, so happy we got it in the pros. And again, that's a really nice win for Davitella, who now is going to have a battle on her hands in second seed Sasha Vickery. But Davitella Vickery, all in. Kayla Day versus Kessler, you know I like that. A little TCU-UNC battle in Graham uh, versus Aristegui as well. Should be really fun day of action. And again, two stateside ITF events. I believe you can see some of them online. I found a link for Fort Worth. Haven't found a link yet for Fayetteville, but I'm sure it's out there if you know it. At me, at Great Shot Pod. I'll be sure to tweet it out, give you credit as well. But Again, that's your Wednesday action across the professional tennis world. Of course, we will be back tomorrow recapping everything as well. If you have missed out on anything, you can find all of our content on our website, CrackedRackets.com. Of course, like, rate, subscribe, review this show, uh, our Great Shot podcast, Cracked Interviews podcast, all that we're doing here at CR. If you need the more immediate updates, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, we are at Crack Rackets. You want to message me directly, I am at Great Shot Pod. A shout out, as always, to our super producers, Max Flinger and Daniel Westoff, for the f- 
of an editing job they do day in, day out. Shout out as well to our friends at Tennis Point. Remember, it's tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. With that said, for Super Producers Fligner and Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point, from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break. And we will talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.